In today's podcast, we continue our exploration of the law and its relationship to Christians. However, this week we get a twist. Though the early Jewish Christians in the book of Acts don't advocate for circumcision, they do apply some legal restrictions on Gentile Christians. Why would they do that? What's going on? The bottom line, the law serves a greater purpose to guide us on the way that leads to life. You're listening to The Way with Father Dustin Lyon, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Welcome back to The Way Podcast. I'm your host, Father Dustin. So we've spent the last few podcasts talking about the law and how we, as Christians, can understand it. Last week, we asked the question, do Christians still have to follow the Old Testament law? And what we discovered is that the answer to that question is not as black and white as we'd like it to be. We first have to define the law. What exactly do we mean by that? To our surprise, we learned that when we talk about the law, also known as the Torah in Hebrew, which could be translated as instruction, we could be talking about the entirety of the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When we define the law in this manner, we don't mean just the law of what we can and can't do, but also the stories that are included in these books, such as creation, the story of the patriarchs, the exodus, and the wandering of the Hebrews in the desert. I think that when we define law in this manner, we get a greater sense of what Torah actually means. It isn't just a law in the legal sense, but instruction, as a guide for how to enter the kingdom of heaven. As you know, stories are instructional, and scriptural stories are instructional unto life. But sometimes, when we talk about the law, we aren't referring to the entirety of the books of Moses. Instead, we may mean the law that is given to Moses after God frees the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt. In this sense, the law is a character, or an item, within a larger story. Now, this law, of course, has commandments that are to guide the Hebrews as they enter and live in the promised land. When defined in this manner, we can think of it as a law within a law, the story of a law that's given to Moses within the larger context of the law or Torah as a whole. When people are trying to discern whether Christians have to follow the law, they don't always distinguish which law they're talking about. They also use passages from the New Testament to make their argument. We looked at one last week, the story of Peter being told to eat unclean animals, something that's forbidden by the law, the one that's given to Moses within the story. As we saw, the story uses the law to show Peter that he shouldn't exclude Gentiles from the Christian community. They too are invited into the gospel. As such, the law of Moses was used as an instruction, or law, for Peter to further advance the gospel. So rather than breaking the law and thinking of the law as a legalistic entity, 
of what you can and can't do, the law was used as a teaching guide to teach one, in this case Peter, how to love his neighbor. So that's one such way to approach the matter. Today I want to look at another story, again from the book of Acts. This time it's a bit different, and in some ways raises even more questions, but we'll get to that later. In this story, Paul has come to the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem to receive a blessing for his mission to the Gentiles. As you know, there was tension between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. The main question was, do Gentiles have to first become Jewish before they can become Christian? By this they usually mean, do they have to observe works of the law? In other words, do they have to be circumcised, keep the Sabbath, keep kosher, and other such purity laws? Paul, as we know from previous podcasts, says no. Those things are identity markers and carry nationalistic overtones and are not required to be a Christian. But then, when he went to Jerusalem, he gets this letter. Here's the full story from the passage in Acts. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem, discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles, to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so that all peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known, from long ago. Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble the Gentiles who are turning to God, but should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols, and from fornication, and from whatever has been strangled, and from blood. 
For in every city, for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. So that reading is from Acts 15, verses 1 through 2, verse 4, and then verses 6 through 21. So, if Gentile Christians aren't forced to keep the law, then what is this about them abstaining from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from animal meat that was strangled and from blood? Well, first let's back up a bit. You'll note that Peter opens up by talking about the burden of the law. And by this he means those specific commands that were given to Moses. So note which law we're talking about here. Peter correctly points out that the commandments given to Moses has been a yoke that their ancestors could not keep. And he pokes them a bit by saying, we can't even keep this part of the law. In other words, he's pointing out that this aspect of the law has shown them to be failures. And the gospel, on the other hand, is a message of freedom that lifts our burdens. It's interesting to note that Peter sees the keeping of the law as a test of God. If they were to force the Gentiles to follow a law they themselves couldn't keep, it would be a strain on their relationship with God in a negative way. Following Peter's comments, I think it's especially interesting to ponder what James says. He emphasizes the inclusive nature of the gospel and the inclusion of the Gentiles. But did you catch exactly what he said? God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This is big. In other words, the Hebrews, a.k.a. the Israelites, are themselves Gentiles. God took people from the Gentile nations and from them made them his people, a special people, to be a light to the world. This is exactly what's happening now with the Gentile Christians. God is continuing his project of making for himself his own people. Only this time, instead of circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and eating kosher, the mark for God's people is faith in Christ. But I think it's especially noteworthy to see that they believe, as Jews, that they have come from Gentile nations and were only set apart as a separate people by God's will. In other words, they aren't Jewish because of who they are, what blood is running in them, but because God has acted. After this, James, of course, quotes the Old Testament, Amos 9, 11-12, to show that God has always had the inclusion of the Gentiles in mind from the very beginning. This goes back to the scattering of the nations at the Tower of Babel. When he did this, he assigned them guardian angels, if you will. Here's how Moses sums it up in Deuteronomy. When the Most High apportioned the nations, he divided humankind. He fixed the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the gods. The Lord's own portion was his people, Jacob his allotted share. That's Deuteronomy 32, 8-9. Here those guardian angels are called gods in the plural. According to tradition, these gods, or angels, or watchers, then caused the people to go astray and worship them instead of the true God. To set things right, God began by taking people from among the nations, starting with Abraham, to make them his own people, a people who would be loyal or faithful to him rather than those other gods. This is the beginning of the rescue project, if you will, which is now completed 
in Christ. Through Jesus, everyone now has an opportunity to be included in God's allotted share. Okay, I don't want to dwell on this too much because it's a large topic and we could spend weeks talking about this. But I will say, if you're interested in learning more, I highly recommend the book, The Religion of the Apostles by Father Stephen DeYoung. This book will introduce you to a whole new way of approaching Scripture. The main point I want to make is that James and those other disciples are recognizing that the inclusion of the Gentiles is not new. It's not plan B. It's something that has been planned from the very beginning. But, and this is huge, despite the plan always being to include the Gentiles, the Jewish Christian leaders still say they should abstain from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. Where do these come from? Is this not a law that they're imposing on the Gentile Christians? So these restrictions come from the law that was given to Moses, specifically Leviticus 17. Because of time constraints, we won't look at each one specifically, but what's interesting is that these laws specifically apply not only to the Israelites, but also to the aliens who reside among them. So in other words, the Jewish Christians weren't bending the rules or breaking the law. They were actually very carefully discerning the law. They saw the Gentile Christians as resident aliens, which is how Leviticus talks about those people, and applied the law appropriately to them without requiring them to be circumcised. Now, what does it mean to be a Gentile Christian and also to be considered a resident alien? Well, good question. I'm still thinking about that one. If you have any ideas, feel free to get a hold of me. I'd love to hear what you have to say. But we don't have to just understand these laws as legalisms that are being applied to Gentile Christians because they're being seen as resident aliens. As you know, when we're reading scripture, there's always the surface level of understanding and then there's a deeper spiritual level. And I think these restrictions can be understood in a much deeper level. As Father Paul Tarazi points out in his commentary on Luke and Acts, all of these things have to do with the worship of foreign gods. There's those gods again. Meat sacrifice to idols is obvious. In addition, both the command not to eat meat strangled and to refrain from blood should also be understood within a sacrificial context, sacrifices to other gods. The only other command mentioned is fornication, which is pornia in Greek. This was commonly understood in the Old Testament as being unfaithful to God. In other words, if you started worshiping another god, you were committing harlotry, or fornication. The prophets don't hold back on this one, and commonly accuse Israel of betraying God in this manner. So it isn't just about human relationships. Fornication can be faith in God, or your lack of faith in God. So the commands that James and the other Jewish Christians give are not arbitrary. They are about staying faithful or loyal or trustworthy to God. Once you've put your faith in Christ, it must stay there. You cannot go back and forth between different gods or different masters. So if you start to look at all of this in this way, again you see that the law that's given to Moses is serving a greater purpose. It's instructional, and in that sense, a part of the greater law that includes the entirety of the five books of Moses. It's instructional about 
how to walk the way, how to serve God and live a life that's worthy of the kingdom. And for me, what's most important is that it's not about being legalistic. It's about guiding people on their faith, helping them deepen their spirituality. Or, to use current buzzwords, it's about discipleship, creating strong, faithful Christians who won't wander away. So, do Christians have to follow the law? Well, if you're thinking about the law as an instructional guide, then the answer is yes, of course. It's the way that leads to life. But we can't be too legalistic about it. Okay, I'm going to leave it there. It's a busy week with Paraclesis and the Feast of the Transfiguration. But, God willing, I'll be back next week. Until then, God bless. God bless.